to him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his blood and made us kings and priests to God the Father. To him be all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Today's sermon text is like last Sunday with uh, the episode of the feeding of the 5,000. Now a continuation from Matthew chapter 14, another vignette, important episode, Jesus walking on the water in his name. Lake Tawakini. Yeah, that, that's what this sermon is about. Or is it Tawakini Lake? No, it's Lake Tawakini. I had it right the first time. Okay. That's where we are here in Matthew chapter 14. The sea or lake, Luke calls it a lake, of Galilee has approximately the same surface area for, for your reference, most of you have been to Lake Tawakini, as, as that lake. However, it is twice as deep, and that, that's important here. The Sea of Galilee itself is important in the Gospel accounts. This is not the first time it's been mentioned as the, the prime setting for a miracle of Jesus earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, also recorded by Mark and Luke. Jesus stilled the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Remember, asleep in the boat, they had to wake him for him to save them. And we also know of two immense catches of fish that occurred on the Sea of Galilee at the beginning of his three-year public ministry. And then at the end, after he rose from the dead, standing on the shore, he enabled them to catch fish. And then this story. I think the most awesome of all of them. And I mean that in the strict sense of the word awesome. I know we tell our little children and grandchildren when they make a drawing and we put it on the refrigerator. That is awesome. But strictly speaking, the word awe means worship. For something to be awesome, it needs to be God, really. Maybe we can construe that. This is a God-given talent. Indeed, it is when a child does something wonderful. But strictly speaking, you can see from the disciples' reaction here, they recognize the deity of Jesus at the end of this. They worship him as the Son of God. And that's the point of this story. The main point, I would say, that Jesus is God, in control even of the sea. The Sea of Galilee was known, is known still for its storms, the lowest freshwater lake in the world, set down in the mountains and deep. In doing research for this sermon, I discovered something I did not know. 
You can surf on the Sea of Galilee. Not much, at least by the standards of this California boy. But there are waves, I guess, in the northeast corner of the lake that generally are two, three feet high. I guess you can surf on that, right? And when there are storms, often recorded are waves 10 feet deep. And Jesus walks on that sea. I can't explain it. I can't even picture it. You may have seen pictures. But the point is that he is in control of chaos all through the Bible. The sea has that meaning. I mean, you go back to the very first verses. Before things were ordered by God's word in creation, the spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. The sea there, whatever that means, is chaos before God intervenes with his control. And all through the Old Testament, he parted the Red Sea. The people knew what that meant. He was in control even of that body of water. He rescued Jonah from the belly of the fish, the whale, and the depths of the sea. The Mediterranean Sea that time. All through the Gospels, these stories of the Sea of Galilee. And at the very end of the Bible, Revelation has, I think, three times, I didn't count for the sermon, I'm just assuming what I've known from the past, three times the sea is mentioned, once normally, the second time, like glass, and the third time to say in the perfection of heaven, there was no sea. God perfectly in control. And that's the point here, the main point you need to hear in this miracle. I think it's unique in that respect. Other miracles of Jesus, we might, maybe not we, but others might try to explain away last week's feeding of the 5,000. Well, maybe there was some other food on the outskirts of the crowd and, and they kind of assimilated it into the feeding, right? Or the, the healing of someone sick. Maybe they were already getting better a little bit, disbelievers might say. Or, or even, even the calming of the storm earlier in the gospel could have been a coincidence, right? But not this, not this miracle. He is walking on the sea. Jesus is God. Even in his state of humiliation here, he shows. The main point of this parable, along with one other, Matthew includes more of the story than does Mark in his account. That's an interesting discussion, by the way, why Mark, uh, tradition says, receiving the gospel by dictation, maybe from Peter, doesn't include the scene with Peter here. Peter says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. 
So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I want to point you to the sermon title today. It is not what's on the screen right here. The sermon title is Walking on His Hands. But it's not talking about Jesus walking on His hands like some gymnast here. No, it's talking about Peter here and me and you walking held by his hands. I think there is such a wonderful, blessed contrast and compliment here of the almighty God in the flesh, Jesus walking on the water and, and his intimate, personal salvation and rescue of Peter and every person here. He reached out his hand and took hold of him. Reached out his hand. That hand saved Peter. I assembled some verses about God's hand. It, it also is a major theme all through Scripture. In fact, Psalm 139, that great pro-life psalm, couches it in terms of the sea. I had missed this verse, even though I've read it dozens and dozens of time if I take to the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me in the midst of this world storms things too big for us the Savior's hand and there are others. Isaiah 64, you are our father, we are the clay, you are the potter, we are the works of your hands. So now he's molding you with his intimate personal hands involved in your life. Isaiah 41, fear not, I am with you, God says. Do not be dismayed, I am your God, I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous hand. I, the Lord, Yahweh, your God, hold your right hand. God's hand is holding you. 1 Peter chapter 5 says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that in due time he will exalt you. We're in his hand, humble by forces we can't control. Do I have to mention COVID-19 again in a sermon this week? Let alone human-caused things in the world, the natural things that are beyond us. And, and worst of all, our own sin. Yours and mine is too big to handle. Peter here, sinned, subtly mentioned, it says, but when he saw, not Jesus, the wind, 
he took his eyes off Jesus. Focused on the storms around him. Jesus still was in control. Jesus still saved. Indeed, the almighty God, Jesus, the Son of God in the flesh, humbled himself so much that he would take your sin in his body, the Bible says, even his hands. I hope you know Isaiah 49, 16. Behold, God says, I have engraved you in the palm of my hands. With nails on the cross, the hands of Jesus took your sin that you can't conquer. Your guilt, you feel all the time, mine too. And took it away and showed those hands risen from the dead as proof. Again, the book of Revelation tells us that that's our answer. His hands in glory. John in Revelation chapter 1 sees a vision of the glorious Jesus, right? You know that? And you shall too on that final day. John says, behold, I fell at his feet as though dead and we should be in his presence but he laid his hand upon me and said fear not that hand indeed will take us to his glory forever and ever I had an experience last Christmas day leading worship in another congregation Christmas Day worship, the gospel is John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's the Savior there. That's a title for, for the Savior. The Word, the Word. God from the beginning. But then I got to a verse I know well I've memorized. Verse 14, and I did not make it through. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Almighty God is your brother and Savior, Jesus, with you always. Three things. As this message continues in your life, I want you, yes, to be like Peter and bold to call to Jesus, Lord, command me to come to you, even across things you think are impossible. He shall command you where he wants you to go. We all have things in our life right now. I'll pause for a minute as you raise that prayer. Lead me, Lord. And then confess, like Peter, you take your eyes off Jesus. And you may start to sink. Even more, Jesus wants to hear that prayer, Lord, save me. That desperate cry. And finally know his hand holding you as you go forth to, to walk with him. 
We don't have the meal today, but next Sunday there is his true body and blood in, in a real tangible, tasteable, visible way by faith. His hand is here for you. For you. Walking with him as he continues on Galilee, maybe to Wakani, who knows what sea is before you in your life. Jesus walking on the water with you, walking on his hand.